welcome. My name's Adam. I'm so glad that you are here with us today. It's good to see you or see you as best as we can at the moment. As Rox mentioned earlier, if you're watching this on social media, feel free to say hi, say hello or something in the chat. I like that we can connect in some way at this time. But like I say, I'm so glad that you're here. Let me plant this idea in your mind. Imagine a world where everyone got along, where there was a sense of togetherness and care and love for all. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Sadly, it doesn't feel like that at the moment. That isn't the world that we live in. And you don't need to watch the news for long to see the pain and the destruction around us. But God has a plan, and it's a good plan. And it looks like love. It looks like kindness. It looks like compassion. It looks like grace. It looks like forgiveness. God, through his son Jesus, makes a way that our own efforts could never make and saves us. And he saves us from ourselves, and he saves us from the destructional living that we see around us. God has good plans for us. And today, I want to look at how do we live like this? How do we see a glimpse of what God was talking about when Jesus talked about the rule and reign of God, the way things were meant to be? We're talking about this subject called unity, a subject that is so needed, but yet so absent at the moment. Let me start with a story. This Monday, I took my car into the tire place to have the tires changed over. I've got some summer tires and I've got some winter tires. And last weekend, it snowed. This weekend, it's the complete opposite and it's warm again. But last weekend, it was snowy and the car was a bit slidey. So I made an appointment on Monday to have the tires changed on the car. I called the place and they said, drop it in early in the morning at eight o'clock. They said, but you can't wait now. We've closed our waiting room due to COVID. So you need to hang around and be nearby, but you can't wait inside. I was nowhere near anywhere where I might normally go and wait. Starbucks was closed. Everywhere was closed apart from Market Basket in Brockton. So I went to the kind of restaurant, and I use that word in the loosest sense, side of Market Basket, and I had my laptop and I replied to emails and I worked from Market Basket for about four or five hours. I was waiting there and it was kind of unusual, but some of the people I saw, it was really interesting. There were tables with people gathering and sitting together and they were talking and you could hear some of the conversations, especially as they got louder. Certain subjects triggered louder conversations. They were talking about masks, the need or the is there no need to wear masks? They were talking about politics. This was Monday, the day before election day. And you could hear the volume and the difference of opinion. And so often, as is the case, people just talk louder and louder over the top of someone else. But what I noticed was there was this desire for people to be together in these conversations. There is this de desire for community. And I believe, as illustrated by the people that gathered and sat together and argued at Market Basket on Monday morning, I believe that we are made to be in relationship with each other. We yearn for that. We long for that. 
But as displayed by the people in Market Basket, we don't all think the same. We don't all cheer on the same sports teams. People don't all vote the same. But yet we were made to be together. In a strange Market Basket analogy way, this is a glimpse of humanity. We were made to be together, but yet we're different. I believe God in his goodness wants to teach us ways where we can live in unity, but yet still recognize that any gathered community will be diverse. I believe that God wants to show us how to live, how to navigate these times, how to be together, even though there are different opinions. This week highlights all of this. So this feels so appropriate to say, God, teach us, show us. Help us to learn and help us not just to have knowledge, but help us to apply the challenge that is the message of unity. That's what we're going to be looking at today. I will make this comment in light of the political week that we've been in and are still in. For some people watching, there may be a sense of celebration. For other people watching, there may be a sense of mourning and disappointment. I want to make this comment to both camps. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in God. It is not in a Democrat party or a Republican party. Our hope is in Jesus. If you are feeling disappointed, may I encourage you to put your hope in Jesus. If you are feeling Joyful. May I encourage you not to put your joy in a candidate who may or may not have been elected. May I encourage you to put your joy in Jesus. He is the source. He is the hope. He is the light of the world. And with that confidence of conviction and with that direction of where do we set our gaze, let's turn to Ephesians 4. And in this passage, we see some of the lessons, some of the applications of this question of how do we live like this? Not just how do we learn about the subject of unity, but how do we live it? How do we apply it? How is it evident in my words and in my actions? Some of the answers are in this passage. Ephesians 4 verse 1 to 6. We're in the New Testament. The author is this person called Paul. We know him often as the Apostle Paul. He didn't begin like that. He began with someone who lived terribly, didn't believe in God, didn't live a good life at all, and then had this moment where he encountered Jesus and it changed him. And he wrote some of the greatest contributions of how we should live. Gives us an indicator and points us to Jesus so often in both faith and in conduct. That's important. So Ephesians 4 verse 1 to 6 This is one of his letters for the people that have studied the writings of Paul. This is what's known as a circular letter. It was a letter that was written to an audience with an intention that the audience was bigger than just that one audience. That other churches and other people would read it and receive the wisdom of God in it. So it's bigger than just one recipient. Ephesians 4 verse 1 to 6 says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble 
and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We're going to expand this passage in a moment. Sometimes when we approach Scripture, we're asking, God, what's the deeper meaning? What's the concealed meaning? What's the revelation? What can I learn? And sometimes Scripture is mysterious and, and we need to dig and to delve. And it's like finding gold in the hills. Sometimes it's quite straight. It's quite direct. And this is one of those passages. And what I like about this passage it isn't just this is what you need to know but it's really applicable in our lives. That's important. To give you some context, if you read the passages behind this passage, Paul had been unfolding the eternal purposes of God in history. And now through Jesus Christ, who died for sinners and was raised to death from death, God is creating something entirely new. Not just for individuals, but for society, an alienated, an alienated humanity is being restored to its creator. A fractured community is being united and a new humu humanity is being created. This is the mystery, the wow and the wonder that is the beauty of the church. And it isn't just about individuals. It's about communities of people. It's about gatherings. It's small, it's in homes, it's big, it's in big gatherings. This is a new community, this is a new picture. And the answer is, it's church. It's us. We're different, but yet we're together. The picture that I painted last week when I introduced the idea of let's look at unity is that arguments are easy. Conflict is easy. Disagreement is easy. And unity is hard. But we all know that God desires unity and the world needs unity. Here's the challenge. The answer that God has for the problem of lack of unity in the world is the church. It's us. It's me. It's you. It's flesh and blood. People who are broken, who mess up, who don't always agree, who get it wrong. But by the saving grace of Jesus that changes us, he wants us to be the example to the world. The light in the darkness, it's us. So much of what the Apostle Paul had been writing was about what God has done. And now in this passage, there is a shift from what God has done to what you must do, what I must do the way we must live, the way we must love others, the way we must show compassion. We've seen what God has done and is doing, and now it's on us. Let's look at this. 
Paul describes himself as a prisoner for the Lord. At the time of this writing, he was in jail. But it's not just that he's talking about the prison. He's talking about the fact that as he has given himself to Christ and Christ has given himself to Paul, there is this union where I'm in this. And it's not a prison that's bad, but actually he's finding God in that prison. He's saying, I'm committed to this. I'm in this and it's okay. He begins by saying this, I urge you. Urge is one of these words where you can't say it in a casual way. It doesn't work if you say, hey, I I urge you to do this. That sounds like a suggestion. If I say, uh, I urge you to clean your teeth before you go to bed. That sounds like, yeah, it's a nice idea and it makes sense. We probably should do that. But actually, if you listen to this, the way it's written, he's saying, I urge you to live like this. I petition you. I make a plea of you. I'm saying, please don't live in a different way to this. I urge you. And then he goes on. To live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, in this context of writing, when it talks about calling, he isn't talking about a particular call to someone's been called to work in the field of medicine or someone's been called to education. or Someone's been called to, to lead a church or someone's been called to be an evangelist, which means someone who tells lots of people about Jesus or someone else has been called to something else. This is not specific in that sense. This is, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received to Jesus. You have been called into union into relationship with God. And Jesus makes that possible. Jesus has paid the ultimate price. This isn't a religious conviction. This is the person, the presence and the power of Jesus that changes you. And if you have invited him in, if you've moved from light to darkness, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling of the salvation that you've received. You can't receive Jesus and ignore the way he's telling you and calling you to live. Live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus. And then he goes on and it gets quite specific. Be completely humble. The addition of the word completely moves what sounds like it could be a suggestion to an instruction. Be completely humble. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proud. Don't celebrate at someone else's expense. Don't glee at, at your good fortune when someone else down the road or in the city next door suffers. Be completely humble and gentle. Be gentle. I made the comment of my observation in the grocery store on Monday that so often people just get louder and louder. When someone says something they don't like, they just say what they wanted to say and they say it louder to almost trample out the other person. If I say it enough times, if I say it loudly, I'll be heard and they won't be heard. It's not the way to live. It's not the way of Christ. Be completely humble and gentle. Be gentle. Be patient. Be patient. 
one of the things I noticed when we moved here nearly two years ago is if I am driving my car and I get to an intersection and there's a gap that I'm not convinced I want to take, so I'm going to wait for the next gap. Sometimes the car behind me is not content at my choice to wait and they're beeping their horn and waving and giving me all sorts of gestures. Some of them are far too rude to repeat at this hour. Um, Be patient. Be patient. It's not easy sometimes, but it is godly. Bear with one another. What this means is there's going to be people who annoy you, who you don't like, who irritate you, and some of them may even be in the church. Bear with one another. In love. Love. Jesus Jesus is the best, incredible example where Jesus said, don't just love those who love you. Anyone can do that. Love those who you don't like. Love those who don't love you. Don't make them wrong to make you right. Love those. Bear with one another. Let me read this. Make every effort. Again, the inclusion of the word every moves the suggestion to an instruction. Again, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What that means is do not take every effort to argue with people of the same faith as you in such a way that it displays the church publicly sometimes so that anyone on the outside is looking and thinking, I don't want any part of this. If this is the way the church speaks to themselves, uh, why do I want to be part of that? So often, sadly, the church has argued publicly with itself and been a terrible misrepresentation of the body and the group and the community of Jesus. And then it moves, and there's a shift in this passage at this point. We've looked at the diversity of the body and how we can live and how we can pursue unity and what it might look like. And then in verse 4, we see a shift. There is one body. There is one spirit. Just as you are called to one hope when you are called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and bigger than all the things that weigh us down and fill our newsfeed. One Lord, one hope, one Jesus. Wow. God is bringing everything together. Everything comes under him. His rule, his reign, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one Jesus. Not many, one Different, but one. Diverse, but one. There's a shift happening. And it's beautiful. In the historical context of which Paul was writing is the early church. There is this group of people who are the Jews. And they've been known as the people of God in the Old Testament highlights them in a unique, powerful way. But there is this widening invitation through the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, where everyone is being invited into relationship with him. The people that weren't considered the Jews were known as the Gentiles. And there were two arguing camps 
of groups, no, we need to live like this. And others are saying, no, we don't need to live like this because of what Jesus has done. There's two contrasting opinions. And they were at times strongly expressed that one is right, one is wrong. One has got this special relationship with God and one hasn't. And then the others say, no, it's possible for all. And there's two different opinions. And God steps in, as we see in the second half of this passage, and says, there's one faith. There's one Lord, there's one hope, there's one baptism. It is all being brought together by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's available for all. It's good news. So the church is the answer. The church is the hope of the world. It's the church. Now, I need to make this comment. The church is not perfect. The reason it's not perfect is you've got people like me and you in it. And we're broken, we're falling, we mess up. But yet through God's goodness, he brings us together. We need each other. We were made to be in relationship with God and we were made to be in relationship with each other. But we're not perfect. Sometimes the church has been too separate and has spoken ill of other aspects and expressions of the church. We almost have a tribal language where we talk about this denomination and this denomination and this group. And these people are right and these people are wrong. But this passage shows us that there's one faith and there's one Lord and there's one baptism. Jesus is the way. We may express and worship differently, but our hope isn't in our denominational tilt or tribe, but our hope is in Jesus. He's bringing it all together. Separation splits. And sometimes we can become distracted from the importance that is love Jesus and tell others about him. It's as simple as that. So the church ought to be, actually is one. There's one church. In the Old Testament, the people of God were described as the people of God. In the New Testament, the picture that we see is a body and it's described as different but joined together. Because Jesus is the head. It's described as a family. And for anyone that's had a family or been in a family, you'll know that at times you're different and some people are harder to get along with than others. But yet we're called to be one. And this blueprint, this picture, this shape is an example of unity that the world needs to hear and see. Luke, who leads worship, who's on our worship team today, sent me a word he was praying for the church a few weeks ago. And he said, I felt God speak to me. And this is what he said. And I'm going to read it to you today. He said, the word that I heard in this season was we need to be family. Specifically as a church, we need to model the values of family. Being honest, trustworthy, and courageous. Open communication, understanding our future and never giving up. Being patient And taking personal responsibility. I do not think we're doing these things wrong. But I feel that God's calling us to live like this as best as we can. I believe that that's accurate. I believe that we see that in this passage. I believe that we can and must be unified around the Bible. I believe we must be unified around the proclamation that Jesus is the one, the only one, the way, the only way. That his life, his death and resurrection is what makes it possible. It isn't us. It's him. And that the person of the Holy Spirit is present and in us. 
and changes us to be more like Jesus. Those things we can and must be unified around. The other things that make us who we are, they're going to be different. But yet we're called to be one. In simple terms, what does it look like? Jesus was asked this question, what's the most important thing? It'd be like saying, Jesus, if I'm only going to remember one thing, what should I remember? And Jesus says this, love God and love others. For those of you who know the passage, it's love the Lord your God with all of your soul, your mind, your strength, everything that's in you, and also love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others, even those who are different to you. Last week, I made the kind of preliminary announcement as a church, we are navigating some changes. We are returning to meeting in person for some. We're also reinvesting and relaunching aspects of our online connectivity, aware that for others, meeting in person isn't a good fit and isn't the right fit for them. We want to do both. We want to do them both well. From December onwards, we are going to be gathering on a Sunday morning, both in person and online. We're going to be moving from this address, 195 Tory, to next door. The guidelines to create a great, safe environment are being worked through in extensive detail. And over the next week or two, there's going to be communications of how you can attend and what you need to do and how we want to facilitate a great, safe environment to do that. So watch out for these communications. But I also want to make the comment that for those that can't attend, we are still one. We are needing each other. We are indebted to each other. God didn't deposit all of the gifts into any one person. The story of the church is a group of diverse people who, when they come together, make an effective body. We need each other. I used an analogy last week of geese. I was fishing a few weeks ago and I saw some geese flying as the season in the weather is changing and geese are moving. I'm going to read this again because I feel that this is an analogy that's fitting for us. In the sky above me, there was one group of geese, but there were two V shapes. And as I looked at that, I felt God say, that it resembles those that will gather in person and those that, that, that can't and shouldn't at this time, but will be connected with us online and through other means. Two Vs, but one flock. Let me read this again, just briefly. Geese flying a V formation. The flapping of wings of one goose creates an uplift for the goose immediately following. Flying in a V formation adds approximately 70% greater flying range than if each goose flew alone. When the goose in front gets tired, another goose will take over the front position. Geese will honk to encourage those around. And for those in front that can't see them, they're encouraging them behind their back to keep going and that they're doing well. I love the idea of let's encourage people behind their back. So often people speak ill of someone behind their back. Let's learn from the geese. If a goose gets sick or wounded, a couple of other goose may drop out of the formation to help and to protect them. They would try and stay with the disabled goose until he or she dies or is able to fly again. Then they will either fly together or join another formation to catch up with their group. 
They are one. They're gathered together in a community. If you see geese on the ground, they're called a gaggle. If you see them on the ground, they're walking around in chaos and they're pooing on the grass and they're making a mess. You see them fly in the air and they come together. When geese fly in the air, they're called a flock. My prayer, my hope for us as a church is that we will not be a gaggle where we're all going our own direction, making our own noise, speaking ill of each other and just being making a terrible mess. My prayer is that we will be a flock, that we will fly, that we will move, not on our own efforts, but the wind of the Holy Spirit will move us. I'm excited for what God is doing and is about to do in us and through us as a church. My prayer, my plea, my invitation is be part of that. Be in formation. Honk, care, encourage, pray. The prayer gatherings are important. We know that every move of God begins with prayer. Wherever you are geographically, please join one of these prayer communities. We are going to gather in small, safe groups and pray, and we're going to move around towns and cities and pray for schools and offices of authority and pray for a move of God. Every move of God begins in prayer. So wherever you are, please connect in. Lean into this. This is not just a prayer meeting. This is a movement of people who are praying, saying, God, we need you. My community needs you. Please lean in and join us. Very simply, email prayer at sscma.com and we will respond and connect you in. So please be part of this dream that God had, which is a new humanity, a different picture of humanity, a new creation, a new movement where there is unity and community. Please be part of that. Imagine what that might look like. Imagine the example that that could be to the world who is experiencing a very different backdrop at the moment. Imagine love for all. Imagine diversity, but yet togetherness. My request of you is to both imagine unity and to step into it and to participate in it as displayed in the examples and in the teachings that we see and the example of the person and ministry of Jesus and in the teaching that we've seen in this passage. I urge you to join and be part of what God is doing in unity. I want to pray and I want to point us to the greatest example of unity and the greatest example of sacrifice that makes it all possible. And it is the breaking of bread and it is the partaking of wine or juice, a symbolism of Jesus. Jesus gathered a diverse group of people around a table and said, I'm going to do something that you can't do. And by doing this, it brings the unity that is between people and God. And we're brought together. And he breaks his bread and it's symbolic. I've got some here. And the breaking of the bread is symbolic of Jesus' body. And he's saying, I'm doing this for you. And I want you to take this and receive this. And it's one loaf. 
but it's for many different people. And these many diverse people come together around the one loaf and we receive the gift that is the broken body of Jesus. And it's one cup and it symbolizes the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus. And it's one cup and it's offered to a diverse group of disciples, which is us. But yet through the participation in the one cup and the one loaf, we become one with God. And in a beautiful way, we become one with each other. So that is my prayer. What we're going to do now in your homes, if you've got some bread or some juice or some wine, please gather it and pray and receive the gift that Jesus offers us. If you haven't got some and you're watching this, may I encourage you later on at some point today, some wine or some juice or some bread, pray and receive the gift that Jesus has given you. Jesus is the hope. And it begins around a table with bread and with wine. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. And they're going to sing a song that is a song of blessing over us. Stay. Don't don't switch off now. Stay with us. Then after this, my wife, Sarah, who leads our prayer and communications, is going to come and pray for us. She's going to pray for the nation that we would know a, a move of God. She's going to pray for the church that we would know a move of God. And she's going to pray for us as individuals that we would know a move of God. So gather, pray, and set your gaze on Jesus. Let's do this together.